Is it possible that COVID-19 could actually improve ag education for the future? Today, we talk about three jobs that need to happen to help us get there. How do we respond, recover, and reinvent? Welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. Hello, everybody. This is Al Pellets, and today we want to have a conversation about how do we respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I know all of us have been working from home, um, teaching our kids, teaching other people's kids. And so we wanted to spend some time this morning just talking about how do we respond and what is the reaction to us as ag educators to this COVID-19 pandemic. Here on the podcast today, we have Dr. Mike Ritalik from Iowa State, um, Dr. Brian Myers from University of Florida, Dr. Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, and myself, Marshall Baker, sitting here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, ready to chat about COVID. So what do you guys think as we look at how does ag education respond? What does COVID do for us? Or how does it hurt us? Or what is the proper response? I think each of us have thought about some elements that we could look at from research and things that have been written about how ag education can respond. So um, let's open that up. What is COVID going to do to ag education? Brian's pointing, but our screens aren't all the same. So I don't, he's pointing at, I, like on my computer, he's pointing to the ground. I'm assuming that means, Kate, you should say something now. Is that right? My you favorite think- thing too is, like because of like Jimmy Fallon and like the way everything is going now, like nothing has to be polished. Like even mainstream TV isn't polished anymore. So we have yeah. like a total free ticket. So so we we were we were ahead of the curve than not being polished, right? That we yeah. were saying. <laughs> I was just gonna say is like you would think we have we're not. It's not like we just started doing virtual meetings. You think we'd have this figured out by now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I will. Mean, Well, since Brian was pointing, I will just say like part of this conversation was there was a recent article, which we'll share in this podcast post. There was a recent article by Transcend, who is uh, an organization that's working on school design and how how we build schools and how school happens. And they basically said there's three major jobs that school communities are going to be faced with. The first job is responding. How do we respond in the here and now, which ag teachers, you are in the fire right now responding to the crisis. The second job is then recovering. So how do we enter this cycle of recovery to start to come back out of this COVID pandemic? Um, Our FFA chapters, our state conventions have been virtual. We have state officers that didn't get a chance to have their state convention. We have chapter officers that didn't get to finish their year. How do we create a plan to recover? But the third job is really where the magic is. And that is if we just respond and recover and go back to where we were, it was a missed opportunity. The third job is reinventing. 
So how do we use what we learned in this crazy pandemic um, to reinvent ourselves? You know, I've been well, thinking about go. that part a lot, about the reinvention piece, because you know, we, and I've, I've seen several different things that have all said sort of the same thing is we complained so much about the previous system. And we said in all aspects of our lives, right? Like it's the system, it's the, the political system is broken. And the way that we have to balance school and work and we never feel like we're good enough, it's a broken system. And we've blamed it all of our our problems on different systems because there was no way to get out of them. And now every system has been shaken up, everyone. And so there is quite a bit of opportunity. If we've been saying all along, okay, the system was broken and we needed something to blow it up, it's blown up. So now what do we do with that? And the tough part I find is that you have to both think What do we do with that while still managing that first piece of how do I keep all the things that were afloat still afloat, the ones that need to still be afloat? How do I continue to manage them while giving dedicated effort to how do we reinvent the things that were broken before so that we don't end up right back where we were? Because we may not get this, I I hate to call it an opportunity, but with regard to system change, it is. So we may not get this opportunity again. How do we make the most of it? I'm curious, like, what do you guys think? And, you know, Kate was talking about that. Um, That quote in this article comes from Tulane Montgomery and Kim Simon of New Profit. And they're all about systems change. And their exact quote was, We've been talking a lot about massive disruptions opening new opportunities for systems change. As usual, or a usual reason given for why transformative systems change, why they can't happen, is that you'd have to blow up the existing system to do so. Well, consider us blown up. So, you know, I wonder, like, what, now that we have this, it's called an opportunity in this article. Now the system is blown up. So what about the system did we not like? And what about our new approach? Like, how do we modify the system now with that in place? And, you know, one thing that came to my mind is, you think about in ag education, I think one of our problems is we do a pretty good job for the haves. And, and, and you know, like, for me, I had money. Um, State officer, like to be a state officer, it required a lot of money for me. Like it cost me a lot to be a state officer. Um, traveling to state conventions, showing animals, going to national convention. There are a lot of students that financially don't have the privilege of going to national convention because of finances. So now that we've had all these virtual state conventions and, and you know, potentially a virtual national convention. Now that we have all that in front of us, I think we have a chance to really open access to all 600-something thousand FFA members, not just, to the ones in our, not just to the ones in our local chapter. So, like, for example, that's one of those things, like, how could we reinvent access to our FFA events that maybe have been a little restricted to folks that don't have money? Yeah, but see, I'm going to guess on that. Marshall, the folks that may not have been able to get places 
Many of them may, for the similar reasons, also be those that don't have access to technology to engage in virtual pieces. So that gets to almost a bigger system where how do we make sure that technological access is even or at least at a minimal standard so that people can actually participate in what what the world is recently, which is all virtual. Well, I think that's a good point, Kate, because I think the big thing when we're doing this reinventing, we have to make sure that we're not, um, we have to check our assumptions. Because I think the assumption has been, we're going to put the stuff online, we're going to do this, open it up to the whole world, and anybody can do it. But like Kate's point out, so many we're, we're finding now so many people don't have access to those sort of things. And so we have to, to check the assumption that just because we think we're opening it to a new group of people, in some cases, we may actually be limiting it more. And so I think when we're doing this, reinventing it is really seen as an opportunity to, to, to challenge past assumptions, but also check the assumptions we're making whenever we're trying to redesign things to maybe there's a new and a better way or at least a different way to do some of the things that we've held near and dear to, to ag ed for years. Yeah. You know, it does make me think like, <clears throat> I don't know if I ever would have believed that we would not have a college baseball season at all. I don't think I ever believed there was ever, ever a chance that we would not have March Madness. Like, that's impossible. You are jerks, by the way. I only got into sports ball over the past year because of you all, and then the entire thing is gone. So, you know, there's so many things that I thought, there is no way ever that this could ever stop. And now, like, a lot of that has stopped. So it does make me wonder, you know, like, what is it that we held so, what could stop? You know, we're overrun. We talk about research has consistently shown teachers are overwhelmed with too many things. So maybe this gives us a chance to prioritize. What is it that we have to figure out how to do? And what is it that maybe we thought we had to have that maybe we don't? That's where my mind goes, Marshall. I really think about this from a teacher's perspective. And as a teacher, you know, you you keep adding more and more to your plate. And I really see this as an opportunity to hit the reset button. As, as I had more experience in the classroom, I probably would have done things and managed things a little bit more differently. And I think this opportunity to hit the pause button, do things completely different. And I know through this recovery phase, we're certainly going to have to look at how we do business and do business differently. But when we come out of this on the other side and, and do this reinvent piece, what's it look like and how do I want to operationalize my my classroom and my FFA program and SAE? And I think it's a chance for us to, to why we have this little bit of a pause to catch our breath uh, in some degree after the semester is over and school's out. But what do I want it to look like when I get back into the classroom, giving the new dynamics, whether it's social distancing and people wearing masks and, and technology and all those kind of things? There's a lot of caveats to it, but certainly uh, I think we need to think about how we can hit that reset button and, and develop the programs that we want to at whatever level, whether it's local, state level, national level, or what have you. Well, I think that's great, Mike, right on it. And I, and I really call out all of anybody who's in any kind of state or national leadership to make sure that we're doing what we can to change the programs and meet that new reality. Kind of preparing for this conversation, I came across an article and, and it was sharing across several leaders and looking at what school is going to be like when we go back in the fall, when we go, whenever we do go back. 
And one of the biggest things that really kind of grabbed my attention in this reinventing is talking about new calendars and new schedules. I mean, there, there is serious talk now in our state that we may start this, the new school year in July. If, if things clean, if, if everything clears up, the new school year may start early. Gross. On the other side is we're talking about if it doesn't clean up, clear up, the schedule may not start until August or, you know, or until September, October. So there's, there's those sort of things. And so what, what does the school schedule look like? And we're having a whole new conversation around the school, what the school year is. Is it just this nine, 10 month calendar or do we go to some sort of all year school to, to, to kind of spread this out? The other real game changer I was seeing being suggested was new schedules to help deal with social distancing where it was going to send uh, the younger grades in the morning and send the older kids in the afternoon. Wait a minute. Uh, you mean and actually follow research that states that older students actually need to sleep in a little bit more? Well, to the point, uh, th- this was saying that they wouldn't start to like noon. Like, so that way they could spread everybody else out and clap in school would go until like six or seven at night for those, for, for those, or going to a thing where every kid gets put on a rotation where some go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and some go Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. And so I think all of the, you know, I mean, I think the only thing that we know is that the biggest mistake we can make is if we think we're going to go back into schooling and education the exact same way it was whenever we left on March 10th, 11th, whatever it was going to be, it's going to be different somehow. And it should, really, it should be. If we complained so much about the, the, the ways that the previous systems were not healthier. I mean, when you've got so much of a, of, of a human system focused on self-care because everything else in our lives are set up to go against that, there's gotta be a way, right. That we should look at these systems and think, okay, if we don't want to have to have such a huge focus on self-care because the rest of our lives are, are working against healthy, being a healthy human, how can we adjust that to where it doesn't need to be, a, you know, such a, such a dire focus that we have? I was thinking about um, SAEs because I know when I was teaching, that was the hard, that was the really hard part. How do you, how do you fit that in with 100% um, participation from your students? So, but it, again, it takes the, it takes careful time. We were talking before we started recording about this notion of, um, you know, we need to kind of also, we can't delay change and wait forever because we really don't have the time. Things have to pick back up. So how do you do your best, most careful thinking really quickly so that you can then put it into place when the time comes? And that's, it's tough, I think, for everybody while we're doing, while we're balancing homeschooling our kids and making sure everyone stays healthy. And I don't know about you all, but like a trip to the grocery store is like a massive undertaking. So how do you then also fit in some time, some quiet time to really carefully think, how do I want to change my ag ed program so that it helps everyone overcome those previous things that, that we complained about? Yeah. <clears throat> I think, so I think, Oh, jump in Mike. I think too that as we as we think about it at uh, maybe a higher than a chapter level state level, you know, we have, we in a lot of cases we're traditionalists and we don't necessarily like to change things, and we have a lot of people that like to keep things the same, um, and we have some very late adapters to a lot of the programming. I think this has been disoriented enough that it's going to cause, or at least everybody's dealing with something new, and I think this is certainly an opportunity for us to revisit. 
a lot of people probably experienced online education and more technology than what they've ever used in the past. So now no longer can we say, well, I've never used it, so we can't go that direction. A lot of people have been experimenting and trying different things, and hopefully all of those experiences can kind of coalesce and we can find uh, new and innovative and creative ways to do things that we haven't uh, been able to do in the past because of tradition. Just yesterday I saw um, videos or pictures. I saw an individual that's kind of in our family. She showed us the pictures of their lambs that are being sent in for the virtual stock show. And so she showed us the like the list of the the pictures that she had to take that are now being submitted, and then they're going to be judged just like they always are judged. Um, and you know, like who would have ever thought that a stock show could happen virtually just through, you know, take your pictures and your videos today of your animal, you know? But then <clears throat> it just makes me start thinking, like, then start blowing that up like we do, and like. How can you modify the pictures? How could you change the angles of the camera? And, you know, it's interesting to think through that. But, um, okay, so this article, it says, if we're ever going to reinvent, we have to. All these national leaders on systems thinking says, if you want to not let your curve crash, but if you want your curve to take off in reinvention, these are the things to be prepared for. So I'm going to just kind of shotgun them, and then get reactions quickly to them and move through them. The first, we have to help our folks navigate the likely crushing financial burdens that schools will face. This means supporting them not only with basic needs and remediation, but also with recovery in ways that lead them to reinvent. So they don't have to choose between reinventing and meeting their basic needs. So the first thing that's going to be a barrier is an expectation of crushing financial implications. Well, yeah, so, so many of those, especially the, the schools, rural schools were dealing on, you know, they didn't have pots of money laying around before all this happened. And so I, I think there's going to have to be some very serious conversations about how that's going to be navigated. And, and just like people and individuals are dealing with this and other businesses I think school districts are going to have the very same problem walking into this. Yeah. Okay. Shotgun, Kate, I want you to give a solution to problem number two. You've got to support our partners with concrete tools and expertise to go through the recovery process in ways that allow for reinventing. Concrete tools and expertise. Um, I think that's where the community really becomes key. Right. We've got to get a little selfless and and um, we've, we're pretty territorial. Uh, granted, ag teachers do a phenomenal job of opening up their their programs virtually as well and saying, here, whatever you want, you know, but I think that that's going to we're going to have to rely a lot on our communities and our neighbors when we say, I'm not really sure what I'm doing with this. Can you help me? Or I'm really missing this resource and it's the thing that I need to make this work. We we're really going to have to be team players and rely on communities. Awesome. I know we're shotgunning, but I want to I want to hit on something there because I really hope we do what Kate's talking about because I'm afraid the danger with all everybody being shambles is we're going to want to put this cookie cutter model on and say every single ag program needs to look exactly the same because here are these concrete resources to use. But I love the fact that your first go to Kate was the community, and I hope we can use that to go back and build that local community focus back on our ag programs and, and avoid the the temptation 
from upon high of saying everybody has to look exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about community, I, I want to add that I think we also think about our community of teachers. We need to use uh, our teachers and, and communities of practice within the districts and within regions, but also uh, uh, within our ag teacher profession. I know at least in our state and in some of the neighboring states, there's been some of those communities that have really kind of popped up organically just around this issue to support one another. And I hope that continues as we go forward uh, to address this issue as well. You watch teachers share AMI work. That's what we call it in Arkansas. It's the, the homeschooling work. Right. And suddenly there are all kinds of everybody's willing to share so that it kind of reduces the workload of everybody. So it's neat to see. I hope we keep doing it. But some of those concrete resources are are going to be important. I know we've got people that are making masks and putting them on their doorsteps and saying, if you need one, just come by and take one. So it's neat to see where people are getting creative and thinking, what can I offer and and who can it help and how can I guess best get it to the people that need it? I'm anxious to see the support that occurs as a result of all of the homeschooling. You know, for a long time, I don't know that parents have really appreciated the the trials and tribulations of teachers and the fact that they've had to kind of support that. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic uh, continues or falls off as we as we move forward through this crisis. Yeah. So you guys are killing the shotgun, right? <clears throat> the first one was how do we deal with financial burdens? The second is we've got to help build tools and expertise. The third, fourth, and fifth are exactly what you guys just described. The third thing we have to do is we have to help ag teachers and ag programs cut through the deluge of resources out there with curated practical models and solutions that allow them to reinvent in concrete and proven ways. So I think what we've just talked about here is that's the role of research is not just everyone's going to try to make a buck, but what are the methods that are proven and empirically supported? And I think that's where research can help make that happen. Yeah. The fourth thing was helping schools connect to other school communities operating in similar contexts to share resources, participate in learning experiences, and understand solutions for the range of complex problems that the schools and systems are encountering. So find people that are like you, which is what you guys just said, and partner and start to share. Because the only way for us to have the energy to reinvent is to, is to, to do that. The fifth was then investing in the codification and sharing of models and solutions that appear to be working. So as we reinvent, we've got to find the places that have identified a solution that works. Then we have to codify that. So write that down on paper for other people and then get those positive reinvented models out in front of other folks. So that codification process of not losing the reinvention process. The last one is reexamining policies to encourage and support sustained innovation toward learner-centered environments. Um, that's the last one. What do you guys think? That gets at what Brian was saying, that I really hope that upper folks don't put a cookie-cutter thing and say, I hope that, I hope that those, those upper level, the, the policymakers are listening to this notion, right? That they don't think, okay, how do we as quickly as possible get back to what we did before? Because I think that's the biggest danger. We can we can have all kinds of great ideas, 
Um, but we all, you know, like we're only masters of our own universe and we operate in other people's universes. Well, I really hope that the teachers listen to this and, and I teachers really see this as an opportunity that they, they need to be very vocal and active and engaged in, in this reinvention of what education is going to look like, because if not, it's going to happen to us. So we have to make sure that our voices are being heard um, up the food chain and, at our, and making those things happen at a local level so that, that we can actually be masters of that domain a little bit and, 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 and do some of the things that we're talking about. Um, being, the, being one of the old guys on here, I can remember several years ago, what, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we had this big program of reinvent, reinventing ag in 2020 or vision 2020. I forget they called it. Y'all, this is the opportunity. We are going to be reinventing, reinvisiting ag ed in the year 2020 uh, because, of, because of this crisis, I think. I think it can be a positive thing, but a positive spin on a, on a, on a, nasty, on a nasty thing that's happening. And I hope that it challenges to rethink about that student-centered learning and what that really means. You know, moving out of a industrial age approach to education and even information age to figure it out how do we how we provide content to students in a different way than just standing and lecturing, and uh, um, moving into a way that we help students learn how to learn and learn how to grow and develop as as we go through that. So. As we, as we kind of transition, I think one thing that I want to make mention as we move through, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the reinvent piece. But Marshall, I know when we talked about this before, we can't forget about the, the respond and recover elements and pieces. And we really need to think about doing those things first before we even get to the exciting stuff that we, we talked a lot about today. Can I add one more thing? I know we're trying to land. We're all doing our like unofficial, our, our quiet land the plane. No, uh, that means Kate told everyone land your plane. And in the meantime, she was taking hers off. No, it doesn't. What it means is I watched Brian three times give the timing, timing signal while you were like looking off in, I don't know, your ceiling and stuff. And so I was just reiterating to you what he was trying to tell the group. Anyway, that's up too long already. Um, <laughs> So, Mike, when we're talking about those other two pieces and uh, how we do it, all of this is hard, right? It's new. We've you you mentioned that people are new to this. We might have some late adapters. So, what do we do? Um, I was listening to a really, uh, I think, a timely podcast. Uh, it's Brene Brown's "Unlocking Us," and somebody else who is really fan. Actually, Amy Smith. Um, where is she at? Minnesota. Minnesota. So Amy Smith at Minnesota, I think, had posted this uh, this podcast, and um, I thought, okay, I'll give it a listen. But it ta- she, Brene talks about um, FFTs, which are freaking first times, and I'm censoring that for for the group. Um, but she said that in an FFT, you have to recognize that it's going to be really difficult. That you've got to give everybody a little bit of grace, and that if you put forth considerable effort, it will get easier over time. But that we've all got to kind of put an FFT in perspective. And so she said that an FFT can be anything from if you cut your bangs and then have to like figure out how to how to actually do your hair again, to something like COVID nineteen, where we're all trying to figure out how to remanage. So they can be at different levels, but every FFT needs to be given the same grace and adjustment of our expectations. Yeah. I mean, we make fun of you a lot, but that was very well, a uh, nice landing of the plane. So I think that's exactly right. There are a lot of firsts 
that are happening everywhere. Um, ag teachers, we see you. I guess that's like, we've been talking about that. Like we see you, like we see how you're adjusting. We see how you are keeping the greenhouse alive. We see yeah. how you're helping students with their show animals. We see how you're connecting careers and, and, and we see the innovation that's happening and that is the reinvention. And so the three jobs, uh, you've got to respond to what's happening to you now. You've got to work on recovering. But all the cool things that are happening out there, don't lose them. Because that third job is reinvent. And hopefully we can all support you guys in codifying and solidifying your innovation. So keep working. We see it. And I know parents appreciate it. From us at Owl Pellets, um, successfully socially distancing and, and sequestered in our homes. We're thinking about you guys, and hopefully we can be a part of, of helping you reinvent. From the Outpellet team, have a great one. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.